Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Undead Walking Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Now, please welcome your host, Sarah Beth Pollock. Hey everyone, we're back with another edition of the Undead Walking Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Beth Pollock, and once again, I am joined by, this time, two incredible guest hosts to break down this week's episode of The Walking Dead. It's episode 1106, Out of the Ashes, or 1105, excuse me. I can't say 1106 because I'm not supposed to say that I have it, but I have it, but you know, never mind. Just pretend I didn't say anything right there. Um signed way too too many NDAs to to lose my privilege at this point. But um, I want to welcome my two co-hosts. We have back with us, um, we've enjoyed them separately in the past two weeks, and now they're back to do a a group discussion of this episode. We have none other than Jeffrey Kopp, who is the the man behind the Walking Dead World Twitter account, and I'm so happy to have Jeffrey back. And we're also joined by Johnny O'Dell, who is also a, an icon among the Walking Dead fans. So oh, guys, stop. thank you so much. Oh no, it's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much yeah, for having thank us. You. This is awesome. Very Jeffrey, yeah. finally, finally we're together. I know. This is great. I know, this finally. Is, the prophecies foretold this and it finally came true. This is incredible. <laughs> Years of live tweeting and tweeting back and forth over Twitter and it's finally happening. <laughs> it's good to put a a black screen with your name in white letters to the person. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, Johnny and I have met in person um, a couple of times, Facts. actually. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've met several people in person over the years, Brandon Davis and, and um, Julian Cannon. And, you know, like you never sometimes when you go to conventions, you never really know who you're with. And then, you know, you do things and you don't know. And then um, I always like to tell the story of, of Johnny being incognito at uh, San Diego Comic-Con because he was wearing a badge that didn't say Johnny O'Dell. And so I was having this kind of existential crisis going, 
I know that's Johnny, but that's not Johnny's name. Am I that, crazy or is something else happening here? That was them forgetting to get me a batch. So I had to use someone else's. That's what that was. I'd like to think that I was popular enough to be like, oh, I really don't want any autographs, guys. I'm just going to go with someone else. No, uh, my own company forgot to get me a batch. So I was like Steven for four days. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but your version is a lot more legendary. So I'll go with that. But. <laughs> Yeah, I know that. And that line was legendary because I was standing in the line oh because God. I was trying to get my uh, my co-editor at Undead Walking, Adam Carlson. I was trying to get him that special edition Walking Dead comic, sure. which I eventually, that was a whole mission in itself because I had to get it. I had to obtain it. And mm -hmm. then I had to take it over to the, the signing place where Robert Kirkman would take it and sign it and then mail it to him. So I was on this mission and that's why I was a little... Um, I would say extra puzzled because I was so focused on the mission that anything that was in my periphery was kind of like, you know, just out there. And I thought, okay, I think that could be Johnny. It might not be Johnny. I don't know, <laughs> but it probably, you know, whatever, but it all worked out, got signed. Adam loves it. And, you know, at the end of the day, mission accomplished. There you go. <laughs> you love to see it. Exactly. Exactly. So you guys, this is a big, a big moment. Um, and I'm really glad that we get to, uh, to, to talk about this episode because, um, you know, for one, I, I think it's really fun to be able to talk about it with fellow fans and, 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 you know, the, the two of you are definitely fans and, and Johnny, this is a, a special episode for you because you didn't know what was going to happen in this one. I did not know. This is the first week since 2015 where I've seen walking dead episode the week it was actually supposed to be released. For those who don't know, I used to run the social media for The Walking Dead, and I got early access to episodes. And by early, I mean months ahead of time. Not, not trying to brag, that was just part of the job because I had to prepare content. And now that I am no longer with the company, um, I had to watch it like the rest of you. So that was an interesting experience, but it's kind of exciting. So I'm actually happy with my new powers. So in general, I mean, just, you know, I would love to hear from both of you before we launch into the uh, into breaking this episode down. But um, Jeffrey, maybe you could start. You know what what were your general impressions of this episode? We've been kind of going through this journey of setting a foundation, and now I feel like everything's kind of coming together at this point. And so this was kind of the first episode that kind of pushes off from that foundation and maybe shows us a little bit about what's what we can expect for the rest of the the, the next few episodes so what did you think yeah so this episode kind of is my favorite type of walking dead episode where we sort of check in with everyone across the board and um i feel like the beginning of this season really did a good job at laying the groundwork for all these different stories that we are kind of getting into across all these different locations um and i like that we got to kind of check in with every single little group for a good amount of time, um, you know, seeing the Commonwealth, seeing what's going on at Alexandria, seeing um, Maggie and Negan. And um, it's honestly my favorite episode of the season so far. Um, and coming off of 1104, which was personally not my favorite episode, um, I was really kind of excited to see the plot progressing very heavily on all fronts. Um, it feels like things are really moving forward um as we sort of are at the halfway part of this this section of the season um so i love i love the episode that's awesome what did you think johnny 
I really enjoyed it. I mean, I'm a huge comic fan and they hit a lot of major comic points, not so much. Well, it, I guess they did in Alexandria. You know, you, you got the lingering whispers, the post alpha beta whispers. You have, you know, and I know we're going to get into it, but you have the introduction of the Commonwealth. You have Lance. You have the, you know, hints of maybe some kind of love interest between Princess and Mercer. You have, um, you know, uh, one of our characters finding someone they thought they had lost, but is back and now drops the cake. And, you know, with Yumiko, it was Michonne. So I really enjoyed it just for all the comic parallels they had. Absolutely. And there, there was so much, I mean, it, it I, I do, I agree with, you know, I agree with you, Jeffrey, that these, these episodes are the best where you get to see a little bit of everything. And, you know, as you say, Johnny, it's, 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 there are, they are hitting on so many important things. And so it, it, it really felt like a full episode. Like there's a lot to, a lot to take in. And it, it almost felt like it was, you know, it, it, to me, like, it felt like it was a lot more than one episode, but it was one episode, if, if that makes sense. It just, it felt bigger than just one episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it was, it was very, a lot of world building and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And something that kind of stood out to me was just how, um, like the juxtaposition between the different storylines, because we have like the characters at the Commonwealth enjoying ice cream. Meanwhile, everyone in Alexandria is starving to death. They just had to eat a horse and they're like <laughs> struggling to figure out what their next meal is and everything's so perfect in the Commonwealth. So when they would cut between scenes, it was so like jarring, but in a good way, because I mean, that's, that's kind of the whole point is seeing how different these, these groups are. And that was something that I really loved about this the, the the directing and the editing of this episode in particular I agree I mean it used to be we would you know Alexandria would be the safe place where people are eating ice cream and then we would cut to some horrific thing outside the walls whether it be the wolves or Morgan getting imprisoned or you know whatever the hell was going on um, so yeah I that's a really good observation yeah for sure and, and I think you know that's a really good starting point for you know diving into this episode because there is so much to unpack and uh just for the sake of everybody out there what we're going to do is instead of going chronologically because it would be a little jumbled and hard to keep track of but what we're going to do is we're going to break it down into kind of the the segments the the groupings of characters and uh I think the place to start uh would be with what's going on in Alexandria and um you know obviously the episode starts out with this this nightmare that Aaron is having um which to me was a really cool, I, I feel like the show's doing a lot with um, allowing moments that are insights into what's going on mentally with all of these characters. And that's something that kind of spun out of those, the COVID episodes where they were taking kind of, you know, the time to, to really go in and, and, and tease out kind of the, the real life reactions that these characters would be having. And I certainly expect that there would be, I mean, if I was in that situation that there would be nightmares, but I think what was so intriguing to me is that it really isn't about the walkers anymore. Like you really see that. And, and it's like a, a representation of, of how the show has developed that it's not that the walkers are more terrifying. It's literally all of the other villains that they've encountered that are just piling on. And you can just see, it's like this, this visual representation of Aaron just kind of being overwhelmed by the, the enormity of, ex of his experience. Yeah, that's that's something that that opening scene really kind of hit me hard with is just how much 
the characters have been through um, over this this entire journey. And I like that that opening scene, Aaron's Nightmare, sort of highlighted the, the PTSD that the characters are going through, specifically Aaron, because those were all villain groups that he was, you know, actively fighting against and kind of is dealing with a lot of guilt from. I mean, he, he dealt with a lot of guilt from the wolves and then um, obviously losing Eric during the, the war with the saviors and then most recently the war with the whispers. So I really like that that was kind of um, the manifestation of like his PTSD from all of those different different conflicts that he's been involved in. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love the opening sequence, that nightmare thing. I know they love doing the trippy stuff. I know they like flashing back to, you know, iconic scenes. So that was really interesting. That was really fun. Um, very much a fan of that. But yeah, I mean, Aaron's gone through it. I mean, just seeing that nightmare, you realize like how much he has gone through. You're like, Jesus, his, you know, you'd have PTSD from just one of those events. But the fact that he survived all of it, I mean, no wonder he's, you know, cutting hands off and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. And I do want to jump in at this point because I just uh, just talked to Ross Marquand earlier today. Ooh, and... name drop. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's, so, it's always so awkward. But No, I know. I do it all the time. But I have never talked to him before. So it was really hmm. neat to, to get some time with him and, and to really explore this episode. And one of the things that, that he mentioned, Johnny, you might know this because you Ooh. might have seen the footage before they decided not to use it. But he um we were talking about this very thing about about this the concept of PTSD and and you know the this even the survivor's remorse of of being able to survive this and he talked about a scene that had been a uh, season five scene and as he was explaining it I was racking my brain thinking wait a minute I don't remember that um but I just I want to read this quote and it's it's uh actually is something that they filmed back in season five, but they cut it. And he, he thinks that Greg Nicotero directed this scene, um, but they cut it for time. So it never actually came to air, but it was a similar, it, it was dealing with similar um, aspects. He said that uh, in season five, there was a nightmare dream sequence that Greg shot as well, where he was imagining Eric and his, Aaron was imagining Eric in his living room. And they just had this strong discussion about whether or not they should go fight, you know, whatever threat it was. I think it was the wolves back then. And all of a sudden the wolf comes up behind, behind him and slit his throat and all of the blood shoots all over Aaron's face. And it got cut for time, unfortunately, but I always loved that sequence so much because it really got to the core of what was happening for a lot of these characters back, at, back then. So I was really glad that the hmm. writers and Angela decided to, put, to really put that scene back in, in this episode. Wow, I didn't oh, know wow. that. That is a great tidbit, first of all, I got to say. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's, I, I mean, because when you think about it, we really haven't seen a lot of those kind of the, the recovery aspects of the enormity of this experience. And so that, if that had taken place in that moment, it makes you wonder what Aaron, what, how that might have guided Aaron in future decisions. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, I don't know. God, Aaron's just been through so much. I'm just so glad he's still alive. He's one of my favorite characters and Ross is so great. So, um, and I feel like his acting skills have only gotten better and better over the season. So um, even though he was really going through it this season or this episode, it was just great to see him shine. Absolutely. And the rest of that, just to put it out there, by the time this, this uh, podcast is airing on Sunday night, 
the interview will be out too. And it's, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there, including you guys both love this. I asked him why nobody's fishing and he <laughs> gave me an answer. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's oh an ocean gosh. just like a day away. Well, I, I will tease this since I've mentioned it. You, and this was not the answer I was expecting, but he, he said that he, he thinks they've been surviving off of the fishery that's in Alexandria. And he said, nobody's doing any fishing because there's a fishery. And it made no sense to me, but I'm intrigued by this. And so I, need, mm. I feel like I need to do more digging. I, I want to know more about this because are the fish alive? I haven't seen any fish. But I still don't know why they're not going out to, to Oceanside. But that's he thinks they're I living just, off the fish. I need Oceanside to pull their weight more personally. They are always there. They they come in a couple times every season, but I feel like they should be fishing nonstop every day at Oceanside, and we just never see that. We never see that. You are so right. There should be a whole. Fish <laughs> It's probably a lot, like wherever they film those scenes, I think, what is it? Uh, I don't even know where they film them, but you know, maybe that's like a whole location thing. I don't know. I think they just need the story to happen and they probably don't want you to think about it too hard. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> one of the other, as, as the episode kind of developed, one of the things, and I have to give a shout out to um, Cooper Andrews for, I like to think of it as the hangover moment because that scene where he's going to the bathroom just reminded me of the hangover and it made me laugh really hard, except instead of a tiger, it was a walker. I was like, that just, it just, I was laughing. I couldn't help but laugh at that moment. It was the only thing I laughed at in the whole episode until some of the Commonwealth stuff. Oh yeah, I was gonna say wow. the Princess Mercer thing where she complimented his eyelashes and then cut to him just like direct stare, no emotion or reaction. I laughed out <laughs> loud. And I don't laugh out loud a lot until Walking Dead uh but that one got me but yeah the bathroom scene is hilarious and that's that's why I love Jerry because especially in these these more recent seasons we've really got to see like his more serious side but they don't ever forget that like comedic side to him I mean this episode was pretty dark for him overall but they still have those hints of his his humanity and his humor that Cooper Andrews just always nails and I feel like this was kind of the, the episode where he really got to show that the most, the, the two sides of Jerry. Oh, for sure. And, and he's really, he really, when I think about that scene in particular and just the scenes that he's been given, I can't see anybody else doing it. I mean, it's, it's so perfect for him because of who he is. Yeah, and it was crazy to see him that angry. I don't think I've seen, he's always so cheery. I don't think I've seen him that angry since, uh, you know, all those kingdom fighters died back in season eight, you know, where he does that like Vader scream into the void. Um, but yeah, he's like, you have an abilis, like, you know, you have her dress, like, are you kidding me? Like, he was just like, I was scared. I was like, oh my God. Cause yeah, I mean, Jerry's such a lovable teddy bear, but when he turns, oh man wow yeah you don't you don't mess with him i remember that scene no. you're talking about where he slices slices the savior in half to save ezekiel that was like yeah. so brutal and you just you just don't you don't see that side of him come out always but then when it does it's like terrifying yeah that's when he had the axe right yeah yeah oh my god axe. that was great 
tough times in season eight. That was not a good time. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you, there there are so many things. It's funny because now here we are in season eleven, and uh, you know, one of the other early early moments in this episode that just killed me and just reminds me of like, as far as we've come, we've still gone backwards. The kids at the wall. Who the hell are those kids? Who are why those kids? Who are they? Where do they come from? And why didn't Judas just kill them? Nobody needs those. Like those are just more mouths to feed. We. Yeah, we just had a mini gauge sort of redemption arc just to see him get, you know, abandoned and killed. But like, I don't need more asshole teenagers in Alexandria. We are starving. I don't need your sass, sir. I've never seen you before. Whose son are you? Are you like one of the whispers? Like, I know, well, I guess they did say in the first episode <laughs> that we've absorbed two communities. And no, we won't give you more detail on that. So outside of Maggie's people, I guess these are part of these communities that I guess we're just wandering around, but you know, know your place, bud. See, I was sitting there thinking maybe they were like, like orphaned um, savior kids because there was that character last season, um, Brandon, who went on the run with Negan and he was, oh, you know, yeah. the child of one of the saviors from the sanctuary. So based on how they were acting, I could definitely see them being like some children from the sanctuary or something that have now been living at alexandria but the whole time i was like judas just push him into those walkers and teach him a lesson i i don't want to do this again <laughs> yeah. yeah please just i don't i can't deal with another one of these storylines it's i'm done with it i'm over them already yeah and, yeah yeah I was going to say major shout out to uh kaylee fleming in that moment oh my god he went from badass I mean, just the look when he's like, your mom abandoned you and in the look in her eyes and then whipping out the sword um, was just, wow. But that scene where she's walking away and the emotion just, oh my God, how old is she? And give her some kind of award. Yeah. Uh, and then she, her scene with Rosita. genuinely like the standout. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. She is like the standout of this this whole episode for me. Just every scene she's in is just I was just blown away oh yeah and it really I, I would love to know like who the hell these people are staying in their house that broke the thing and like just just go none of these people are, are welcome now like just just make no. them go away like they broke yeah. the thing of the, the hands who are they yeah if I'm starving I'm not inviting more people to hang with us sorry guys keep walking all right this isn't the community for you get out of here Seriously, not unless you're going to offer up a tenderloin leg or something, you know, shout out to Bob. I think, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to become cannibals if you guys stay here. So <laughs> you're going to make it really easy for well, this, us to become cannibals. <laughs> my God. This, this kid, he, that he's talking about, you know, Michonne abandoning Judas while he's living in Michonne's house. I'm like that, that doesn't add up. If you don't, if you're going to disrespect Michonne, you need to leave. Don't speak bad about her. Especially no, you need to daughter. die. Yeah, let's. Yeah. After that whisper got hung up, let's hang up this kid. I, I'm I'm so ready for him to die. I don't care. I don't care. It, give him a redemption arc. I don't care his background. Uh, <laughs> he needs to go ASAP. This is the final season. We don't have time for this shit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which, <laughs> as the as the story kind of moves over and then they decide I, I thought this was really fascinating because we don't again we don't often have these moments where you get to go back and see the scenes of 
these battles. And so um, just seeing the devastation in at Hilltop, you know, like those, I, I'm really glad, you know, even though we have to suffer through those stupid kids, like I'm glad we have moments where we can do these things because it really puts into perspective how far they've come. But I think the moment that, you know, they're like, dude, that's Troy. Like there's Troy, he's just a walker now. Like it just really puts into perspective what they've been through. Right. Yeah, I was like so devastated to see the hilltop in that state. Um, the hilltop has always kind of been one of my favorite locations in the show, just because I feel like it's so practical and it just, it, it's kind of that cool mix of like the old world and this new apocalyptic world. And um, a few years ago when they were doing the studio tours, I actually um, went on that and got to, you know, visit the set for a little bit at the hilltop. And it's, that set is insane. The hilltop set is like unbelievable how real it looks, how, I mean, it, it looks like an actual like place, like a community. Um, so seeing it just like burnt down and just completely destroyed was like, I got kind of emotional. I was like, this, this community is, was almost like a character in the show for, for years. So I was like, this is, this is sad. Cause this is probably, I mean, I would guess this is the last time we'll ever, we'll ever see it in the show. Yeah, that was sad. I, I'm going to miss Hilltop. It's an iconic place. Um, in the comics, they rebuild it, you know, um, so maybe that'll happen in some kind of flash forward. Uh, we'll see. I didn't think it looked too bad. I was thinking it would be in much more, you know, much worse shape. And so I was kind of surprised that it didn't, it almost seems like that could have been an easier place, at, at least the house part, like that there was some use you could make of the house as it is now, maybe more so than Alexandria. Yeah, I mean, it was still standing, which is surprising. Pretty sure it was like completely engulfed in flames. So I'm not really sure what they made it out of, but, um, you know, good on them. They could definitely rebuild if they wanted to. They like lost their, you know, their dining table outside, but, you know, seems pretty salvageable. So then that brings us to the other, the unexpected guests who have been habitating, uh, squatting really at, uh, at Hilltop. And it's these, it's these whispers they're just they're just there and it kind of catches everybody on guard now obviously Lydia is with the group so I think she you know more than anyone had this really interesting reaction to see like these are her people but they're also not her people anymore yeah uh hey Lydia relax okay I don't know if you remember but pretty much all of your people um you know destroyed like our communities, they tried to murder us. We lost almost everybody in this, or not almost everybody, but we lost a good amount of people and um, most of them extras, but that's fine. You know, so don't hashtag not all whisperers us, okay? And also I love how after one of them try, like literally stabs Aaron, uh, she's still like, come on guys, they're not all that bad. And it's like, Lydia, they are, I'm sorry. This is a doggy dog world, you know? See, I, the, the second that whisper showed up, I was like, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. And then yeah. as the episode, as the episode was going on, though, I was kind of like, well, maybe, maybe they're not all bad. But I'm also like, don't, do not give these people the food. I was so mad when they handed over the food at the end. I was yep. like, we have, we are, we're eating horse because we have <laughs> nothing to eat. Do not give them what little we have. I'm, I'm okay with you 
you know, letting the few of them go, but don't be giving them our food. We don't have anything left. Yeah, I wonder how long the story is going to go. Because in the comics, it was just kind of like they found some rogue whispers who, was, who were kind of keeping the faith. It was this dad and son. And the son was like, Dad, this is bullshit. Can we stop like wearing skin and stuff? And he's like, okay. And so uh, we'll, I guess we'll see if these people, you know, stick around or not. And what's interesting, and, and this is something I talked with uh, with Ross about, but what was interesting is that when you think about it, it used to be that, and this was you know dating back to when Rick was on the show, there were moments where they would try to absorb people, and you know we certainly saw this with the Saviors for better or for worse, and and I say better because we ended up with people like Alden, people who did make a difference and who are contributing, um, you know, but mostly for the worse because that's how. Aaron lost his arm and, you know, people have died and the whole thing with Carol and Henry and, you know, letting, lighting those people on fire, like, but it really, it really goes to show, like, they are not, especially Aaron, he is not messing around, like, he is, he's ready to just be like, they were bad, we're going to kill them and keep going, like, and that really, to me, signals a shift in how they've, they've really developed and, and where they are right now, like, that's, that whole, like, salvation and and you know maybe we can save people thing it's it's kind of out the door right now yeah and it's it's so crazy because when you look at where Aaron started I mean he walked up to complete strangers who I mean our people back when he first met them were rugged and they looked I mean they looked scary Rick had his full like crazy beard and I mean they were intimidating but he walked up to them he offered them food he offered little Judith applesauce and he welcomed them to Alexandria because he believed in the good of people and he believed that you know they would be worthwhile to the community and now it's like the complete opposite because of everything that he's been through over the years he knows what people are capable of and he knows what happens if you kind of leave these these loose ends um he knows that it can come back and and haunt you because it has um, so it's so crazy to see the development of Aaron over, I mean, basically since his arrival in the show, which has been, I mean, more than half of the entire run of the show at this point. Um, so that's something that really stood out to me, just how, how much he has changed. Yeah, hundred percent. I saw one of those memes on Twitter where it's like freshman year of our senior year. And it was like him, like fresh faced in season five versus <laughs> him now, or he has like the rugged Rick beard and like the, you know, spiked mace hand and everything. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> and, and one thing Ross did say to that is like, you know, everything's a lot different now because he has a daughter and he has this responsibility over making sure people don't starve. So it, it really has, you know, they've kind of evolved into where we've seen some groups, especially, you know, early on groups that didn't have any food that were just doing crazy stuff because they were hungry. They've kind of gotten into that they've moved into that where it's like you know we sorry but I'm gonna have to kill you I, I can't deal with you right now because we've got we've got to deal with our own stuff like <laughs> you really I love that. That. Ooh, sorry I gotta kill you I know I know I know but I'm sorry I gotta do it <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, <laughs> sorry you're gonna have to die <laughs> um before we wrap up, is there anything else you guys want to want to hit on about what was going on, the Hilltop stuff, the Alexandria stuff, anything we haven't talked about so far with uh, with those that group? I just have to say how much 
I really appreciated um, Rosita getting a story that didn't revolve around like a romantic relationship because yes. that's kind of been a problem with my character with her character for um, the past oh, few seasons. Slipped up. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's kind of. I mean, it's it's always it felt so like repetitive. Not re- I mean, I guess repetitive that she was always you know attached to Gabriel or Sadiq or Eugene. And it seemed like those were the only characters she was getting scenes with but her getting a moment with Judith where they kind of reflect on their shared history and their the group's history and we see her kind of be like a maternal figure to her I really just appreciated that and I hope as the rest of the season progresses we get more of that with Rosita seeing her getting to interact with other characters and getting to actually do stuff that is just you know based in her relationship I agree. I mean, I remember even in the comics, like the way she was dressed from the get where, you know, everyone's wearing practical things for the apocalypse and she's wearing like short shorts and like, you know, just it's like she was, I mean, she was designed by a man, but you know, it's like she was built by a man, like in some weird science kind of way. And yeah, I mean, she's only really been there to kind of like serve men. I mean, she had a great friendship with Sasha, but she's dead. And then, you know, really evolved during the Abraham days, but then he's dead. And then the Father Gabriel relationships makes no sense. Um, I don't ship them at all. It doesn't make, it makes zero sense. But um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's, uh, I think it's great to see this. And I wish we'd gotten this moment a lot sooner. Oh yeah, totally. And something that has kind of stood out to me the past few episodes this season is we've been seeing characters interact with other characters that they don't normally interact with. Um, I off the top of my head Carol kind of comes to mind because for a long time we really just saw her with Daryl and I mean I love the Daryl and Carol um, dynamic but I like seeing her being able to interact with like Aaron and with with um, Magna and Kelly and those other characters because I mean Carol's such a big character but we for so long she was so isolated to I mean even back in the kingdom days she had those set of characters that she would really only only interact with so it's nice seeing kind of the characters all in one place, um, all in one community and kind of being able to have these moments with with characters they don't normally interact with. Totally. And if Carol is telling you to calm down, Aaron, then you got to chill. <laughs> if Carol's yeah. like, you gone too far, bud. And Carol's saying that, Miss, let's lead everyone into a cave. Uh, yeah into a cave and then blow it up <laughs> and then blow it up oh wait we didn't mention the connie thing right oh right yeah that yeah, was a, that Connie's was a, still alive which we know thanks trailers that was a cool tease that was a cool tease okay so yeah i'm sorry i totally forgot about that i just watched it yeah, right before this too. so i shouldn't yeah. have but i love that okay so yeah the whispers these lingering whispers they do serve a purpose and it's to lead us to connie so okay that is i, I like that they added that because like I said in the comics, they were pretty useless. It was just kind of like, oh, interesting. Some people are still keeping the faith, but these guys are like, hey, I know where Connie is, kind of. So um, that was a great moment. And Lydia uh, Cassidy played it really well. I thought she, her acting just keeps getting better as well. Oh, for sure. They're, they're kind of like those people you run into in a video game that just tell you like where to go on the next path and you know, like follow this, this fork in the road and you'll see what you, I mean, it, it really was. It was like, that was the only 
the only reason they were there because otherwise even even if it was something that happened in the comics it wouldn't have made sense to to spend what i consider to be very very expensive real estate in these episodes it would have been kind of hard to justify that much time on something like that but that yeah that absolutely made perfect sense yeah great way great great storytelling right there seriously yes yeah so let's let's jump over and talk talk about uh maggie and negan because i think the commonwealth is the one that we're gonna that that's a that's a good dessert conversation for this uh this chat that we're having Ooh. maggie and negan are are still on the run together and uh it's it's very interesting to see the more time they spend with each other the weirder their relationship gets and it's really interesting to see how they how this all kind of plays out and and how negan was trying to you know get them to leave and he was just ready to check out and then she's like no we can't do it we can't do it and then she ends up being right which i thought was a really i mean it, it makes sense but it would have been kind of cool if negan had been right but he has been right about a couple of things already so maybe they just needed to kind of dole out the i'm right things to more people right i'm glad they I'm glad that they're evolving a little bit. I think Maggie, Maggie's been weird this season. I know she's been through some stuff and we get glimpses of it in these non-visual stories we hear about. Um, so I get she's like really rough around the edges now, but the whole like feud with Negan thing, obviously it makes sense, but it just, it kind of makes her character a little bit one note. It was nice to see them shove each other around a little bit. And, you know, I feel like they're progressing towards them like fully being like okay friends acquaintances but uh it is taking a while I, I am a little bit sick of the whole the maggie being like you know i think about killing you every day it's like we know maggie we know so just you know we get it so this episode progressed a little bit with that story and i did appreciate that but could go a little faster yeah yeah i i, I kind of agree because it's like i mean that was I mean, we knew that coming into this season that that was kind of the dynamic that was going to be at play. And I, I really liked seeing it play out over the course of that, that first mission through the subway. But now that it's just the two of them, and I mean, all of Maggie's people have pretty much been wiped out except for um, Elijah. It's kind of like, okay, let's, let's just reassess this situation here and realize that our numbers are really low we need to get food, whether that be taking what little we have back to Alexandria or going to Meridian and what would be a suit in my opinion is a suicide mission to go just in this Meridian, not knowing much. Um, so she, she's very reckless this season. Um, and I hope we kind of come to learn why with more information about what happened while she was gone. And I feel like we will. I feel like we're not getting the full story on um, her dynamic with the Reapers. I feel like there's something more there that we're not getting the full story of. Um, so I hope they kind of explain that because clearly something bad happened to her while she was gone. And um, I hope we learn more. I agree. I think you're onto something there. I think, and I actually can say that and not know the answer to that. So um, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a weird feeling, but uh, yeah, I mean, maybe she had a relationship, you know, we, we don't know what happened. Uh, she lost, you know, kit, not hers, but someone else's, who knows something happened. It's an interesting I just get like a, too. yeah, oh, go ahead. 
Oh, I just, I was going to say that I get the feeling that maybe um, Maggie's group might have been sort of the, like the, fired the first shot of this conflict with the Reapers. Um, I just get that kind of feeling based on the previous episode and kind of the way that they operate. Um, I just, I don't know. That's just kind of the gut feeling I have right now. And we're not getting that full disclosure from Maggie she's not letting the rest of the group know that that's the case so I don't know that that's just kind of my theory with that interesting, interesting. I like that yeah I'm rooting I for that say it's, it's really interesting to see the <laughs> juxtaposition of like of how you know Maggie's acting for her child and then Aaron's acting for his child and it's really interesting to see how they have such different approaches to Kind of this, it's the same goal but it, it's so interesting to see how it plays out between them and I, I think Jeffrey I think you definitely hit on something I mean there's there's something there's something going on because there's no question why there's no question why Aaron is acting the way he is it all makes sense with Maggie though it doesn't make sense and yeah yeah like yeah the Glenn thing but I mean obviously that'll always haunt you but that was like what eight years ago or something like there is something bugging her. Yeah. And yeah, maybe she was a villain group going around and the Reapers feared her. So. Hey, villainy. Maybe on she's this in show cahoots with them. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Because villainy on this show is a matter of perspective. Oh my gosh. When I, when I worked for the walking dead and I did the, or skybound and I did the villain, like a villain bracket and I included Rick, boy, did people not like me. I was getting like personal <laughs> hate. And I was like, guys, he's literally a villain to everyone they meet outside of the group. Like, he is a massive villain, just not to us. But, so. Oh, Johnny, I can't <laughs> imagine hate, you getting any kind of hate. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, were you there? Oh, my gosh. All I, hate. I said, like, one thing about Carol and Daryl, and it was over for me. They literally tried to cancel me. That's another story for another time. But it was wild. So anything else you guys want to add about Maggie and Negan before we jump over to uh, ice creams and Sundays and uh, <laughs> cakes, evidently, at the Commonwealth? Just speed up the storyline, please. Thank you. It's the last season. Yeah, I, adding on to that, I'm glad that Gabriel and Elijah were brought back to Negan and Maggie because I'm glad that wasn't like a whole plot of them trying to find them or seeing Gabriel and Elijah make their way back. I'm glad that that happened this episode and, you know, we can kind of go from there. So that's, that's kind of speeding things up in that regard, which I was glad about. Yes. I could also do without Gabriel. Um, I think it's past his time to die. Love Seth Gilliam. Sorry, bud. But uh, Gabriel, I feel like is worn out as welcome. That's just my opinion. Interesting. I know. Hot take. Hot take. I mean, he's yeah, great. Well, he's he's interesting. Take. Just, it, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just kind of over it. I don't know. Well, and that's also the problem when you have such a big cast is that if, if the stories aren't compelling, it's like you kind of have to cut our losses and go and, and do what's more interesting. And it's it's sad, but it's it's true. And uh, yeah, it's 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 real estate. It's all it is. Yeah. Real estate in these episodes. There's only so many minutes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Very true. Speaking of real estate arriving in the commonwealth and um you know it, it's funny because i don't know if you guys had this reaction but the the commercial that they play for the commonwealth i i initially like try thought 
my computer was glitching because it, it was weird. And then I looked at it and I was like, oh, that's like what television used to look like before the fancy <laughs> television, like not too long ago, not long ago that Jeffrey wouldn't know what I'm talking about, but like kind of you know, <laughs> the old ones that, and it, it just, it cracked me up because that's, that's what anything in that time period would, you know, if you only had 2010 technology, that's what anything you would make kind of looks like. But uh, what a what a welcome! I mean, we've got this video, we've got apocalyptic red tape, we've got um, a surgeon who decides to be a cake maker. There's all kinds of stuff going on in this this uh, Commonwealth place. What were your initial reactions to seeing life behind the walls in the Commonwealth? Go for it, Jeffrey. I, it reminded me so much of when the group first arrived at Alexandria and it, everything was just a little too perfect. And the people of Alexandria had been living like this, this nice life that almost didn't even feel like the apocalypse. Um, I remember a moment that stands out so much to me is when um, Carl is hanging out with the teenagers and they're like, you wanna play video games? And he's like in a state of shock that that's even a possibility anymore. And just like seeing seeing people getting ice cream and going about their normal day it's so like it doesn't feel like the walking dead but in a good way like that feels like the natural evolution of of this world is that you know there are places that have managed to hold on to some sense of normal life for so long and I just I love that sort of juxtaposition between you know the walkers outside and just like the absolute desperation of people trying to survive and then the kind of like privilege that comes with these people that don't have to worry about those kinds of problems. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, like I said, read the comics, so I kind of know where the story is going, I think. Um, but it was nice to see the Commonwealth in person. I've been waiting a while, years for to actually see it. I remember being at New York Comic Con when Robert revealed that that was going to be the next arc was this Commonwealth thing. And he showed this big poster uh, of the cover of, I think it was like issue 175 or 176, whereas the big stormtrooper looking Commonwealth soldier. And I was like, oh my God. And everyone in the crowd was like, wow, what's that? So it's really great to finally see it in live action. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I ate up every ounce of it. I want more. And I hope they do remix the story a little bit. I mean, obviously they're going to with Yumiko's brother, but um, you know, we'll see. Um, we'll see how what they do to it. I mean, a lot of fans actually thought this storyline was kind of one of the least interesting ones because it was mostly a political thing. It wasn't, you know, good guy versus bad guy. It was a little bit more complicated than that. But we'll see how they handle it. It does feel really weird, I have to say, as, as someone, you know, like, I'm, I'm very familiar with these stories. I haven't read them specifically because I was, I've, I've always tried to kind of stay far enough behind that I don't have too much knowledge of what's coming, but I know what's coming at the end, so or what happened in the comics at the end, but the thing that really strikes me in this episode is, is the, just the disparity of having, it's, it's weird. It's bigger than, like, you know, I think Jeffrey, you made a good point about the people eating ice cream while the other people are starving. There's like this whole French revolution thing happening, you know, like Marie Antoinette's and they're eating cake and everybody else is dying. But it's really weird to have such a disparity between people who are literally living their lives as if nothing happened. Like they've, they've pretty much from day one been in this bubble it's something that we've kind of seen with World Beyond, which is, you know, the fascinating element of that show is just 
the fact that there are people out there who do this and, and who are, who have been able to do this. And it really, it seems to me like it's a turning point because for so long, we've never had, you know, Alexandria was the closest thing to this. And, and even Alexandria pales in comparison to what they're able to do. And so to have all of these things kind of coming together, I mean, yes, it's moving towards the end, but it also, you know, once you know that's there, then, you know, it's, it's really hard to say, hey, let's go back to Alexandria because that's, that's a good idea. Like it just, it, it doesn't really make sense anymore. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of what stood out to me in the, the scene between Yumiko and her brother was she was asking him, like, you've been here this, this whole time. And he, he pretty much got there right when things were going bad. Meanwhile, Yumiko has been out there, like, struggling. I mean, even just since we first met her, you know, she's been, she's been in multiple communities that have fallen. And she's, she's been fighting. I mean, she was fighting people that wore walker skins on them, like, she's been out there in the apocalypse while he's been here baking cakes and it, it the, the way she delivered the line kind of it felt like she kind of thought it was almost a joke like I've been oh, doing yeah. all that while you've been here living kind of the good life um because th it is still the apocalypse they're all still in the apocalypse this community could theoretically fall at any time all it takes is you know a big herd to show up or you know, some helicopters, who knows? <laughs> and it could all be, it could all be over. So it's kind of like, it's just so interesting to see that, that split, especially between like two people who grew up together and who are family now kind of caught between that. It's, it's almost like a, like a culture shock in a way. Yeah, I agree. And also I think Eleanor has been doing a fabulous job this season. You know, when I first heard that she was going to be taking Michonne's storyline. I was like, oh, that's not as interesting, you know, because she's more of a side character. So for her to get this big family reveal, you're kind of like, all right, I guess. But especially, you know, because Michonne's was so groundbreaking. You're like, oh my God, you're like, Yumiko. You're like, oh, she has a brother. You're like, all right. But so far, it's been really <laughs> compelling. And I really like the guy who plays her brother. Sorry, I didn't have time to look up who it is. He He's fantastic. But Eleanor, especially when she was like grilling, doing the reverse psychology on the Commonwealth oh, yeah. interviewers in episode two, um, oh. you know, she's so good and they're giving Eleanor such rich dialogue. And I think she's absolutely killing it. And she's been sort of underutilized um, the past few seasons. So to see her really shine uh, has been fantastic. And I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. And I think it was really fun that they were able to give Princess that line that, you know, that she was able to do that because of her accent. Like, it was just perfect. It was, it, there, there really was no one, when you think about the power of how she did it and, you know, that key, that's that British stiff upper lip, like just, I'm going to eviscerate you with my words and I'm not going to even change my expression. And she just lays into these people. And so for her, you know, like whatever she did, she, she sure impressed somebody because she's, you know, she's able to uh, traverse this red tape that seems to be surrounding this, the community. She gets the golden ticket letter that, uh, that gets immediate service, which I think it's kind of funny um, the, way the way there's so much red tape in the apocalypse. It's crazy. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, but that's the bureaucracy they established. So, you know. But why would you do that? Isn't that what, like, why, why would you go back to that when you have something so much better than bureaucracy? 
it's interesting. I mean, I think Yumiko was on to something going back to episode two and she talked about them using the US dollar as this sort of like manipulative uh, strategy to sort of have people get, you know, sort of triggered by the past lives that they so desperately want to get back to. So the fact that they can just kind of copy paste how the old life used to be as like an intriguing way to like build their community. They said 50,000 plus is the same in the comics. Um, it makes sense. Um, and obviously, if you've read the comics, you know that uh, keeping this bureaucracy and keeping the old ways of democracy and capitalism as it was in the old world, uh, it may not really work out too well. And there might be people who come in and from our group who are against it. So um, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Absolutely. It's so funny because for so long in the show, we saw like how money as a as even just the concept kind of went out the, the window immediately and how trade and sort of like the bartering system came back that's how things used to be and you know between the communities alexandria and hilltop they would trade their resources instead of you know using money and even when they had like the the community fair the kingdom that was more of a uh like a bartering thing than than using actual money and then here at the commonwealth they're actually still using money it was so like surprising to see a character hand over money to like receive like the ice cream when um they were getting ice cream i was like wow that's that's not something i ever thought we'd see in the walking dead yeah and it also made me think sorry i just finished the react to uh the react compilation for episode two so it's on my mind um, but Daryl, if he ever makes it to the Commonwealth, is going to regret leaving that giant briefcase of hundreds he found in the subway behind. <laughs> He'd be like, I could be mayor of this place. I could buy Commonwealth with all this money. You should have kept some of it. But, you know, what are you going to do? Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, looking back at it, it was like a suitcase is probably like tens of thousands of dollars. Like he could have been he could have bought all the ice cream, could have had Daryl's ice cream shop. I'd go there. It's like it's like Shroot Bucks and, and Stanley Nichols in the office. <laughs> Shroot Bucks, incredible. <laughs> Great callback, Sarah Beth. A plus. I would love to know your thoughts on this because the, you know one of the things that, that stands out about these scenes that we're talking about is it's not just the, the political side it's, it, or the, the economic aspect. It's the consumerism that I think is so shocking that you know, the, when the cake falls on the ground, it's like, you know, again, you, you get called back to like all these people, you know, like, you know, when your parents say like, you know, they're starving kids and name a country. Sure. You're told, you know, from a very early age, you know, not, you shouldn't waste and you shouldn't, you know, you certainly shouldn't waste food. And, and you know, now we're globally as a culture, like, you know, trying to look at our, our footprints and all of these things, these things, but in the simplicity of the world that, that the walking dead has established, you know, it's, it's, survival is at the top of this and then you have you know so the elements of survival you need shelter you need food you need water and then these people are making ice cream and they're you know they're they're making birthday cakes and all of this stuff and it really i mean it it, it says so much about their community but then it also makes you wonder you know about you start thinking about finite resources and you know how long can this it's obviously been going on since the start of the apocalypse but you know are they going to run into a problem um, because the things run out? You know, how, how have they not oh, run yeah. out of this? Well, I think it's a facade. I mean, all the ice cream stuff is to make people feel secure and happy. And like, you know, we're back to the old days. Like Yumko's brother said, 
um, you know, sometimes I most of the time forget that, you know, the horrors of the world outside these gates. Um, and what better example of things not being as they seem as Stephanie, who we know uh, is played by Margot Bingham, who is not the white girl who showed up in the train at the end of episode two, but instead the girl who actually got the Rocky Road ice cream in episode five. And for some reason, they're still kind of, you know, they were uh, testing Eugene. Um, but, you know, I think that's a good example of it. Yeah, yeah it almost feels like a, one of those, like, um, scenarios where, like, take North Korea, for example, where they have kind of like that facade, but there's also like the soldiers on the street patrolling, and you kind of see what the government wants you to see. And that that's what this kind of reminded me a lot of same with like Woodbury, where, you know, on the surface, it looked nice, it was a nice street people going about their business people having like little parties and picnics and whatnot but then you have a man keeping walker heads in a tank in his apartment um yep so that yep. kind of that kind of is what the vibe i got from the commonwealth is that you know it all looks nice on the surface and it's to kind of keep that that calm and keep people feeling safe and like they're they're in control of their situation when in reality you know, there's people pulling the strings way above them. Oh, yeah, that's a great call. It, it does feel like Woodbury 2.0 a lot. And um, I, I, as far as I know, Pamela Milton is not keeping heads, um, you know, in a tank and <laughs> doesn't have like a dead daughter hanging around. But she does have, I mean, we'll see. But in the comics, she has a son, Sebastian, who's a little shit. And um, we'll, I mean, and he causes you know, trouble is an understatement. So, you know, we'll see what happens. And it's interesting too, because when you, it really puts into perspective, you know, you think about Woodbury, you know, I, Terminus looked great too, until you got inside and then- I don't know, Terminus out. always looked sketchy to me. It was like a warehouse and they're just like <laughs> burning fuel outside. I was like, I think I'm good, I'm out. Like, and they're like, oh, it turns out they're like insane people who like, cut your throat at like a cow trough you're like of course they're doing that like look at this place it sucks but there's there is some kind of purity though like now that I look back at you know when you when you start putting everything together there is a sense of purity um and almost you know and forgive me because I was a history major so uh, history and political science that makes all of this really fascinating to me but you are forgiven but there is this <laughs> this feudal aspect to what Negan was doing at the sanctuary that was probably the most, um, I, I don't wanna say authentic way of living that I would picture the way living a life in the apocalypse could or should be. But you know, nobody had extra, people had what they needed. And you know, sure his means were weird, but you know, nobody was having ice cream, but like if you wanted pickles, you could have pickles, you know, it's gonna cost you X, Y, and Z. And I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not a, a Negan sympathizer or anything, but there is, it, it really, when you look at everybody together, there's something pure about that way that he was doing things because people had what they needed, but not too much, but not too little. It wasn't easy, but it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't living in the forest trying to figure out where your next meal was coming from. And then, you know, and so now you get here. I mean, I can only imagine what someone like Negan would do walking into the common, I mean, he probably comics aside, I don't see Negan getting welcomed into the pearly gates anytime soon. 
Oh god, uh, I can't even. Seems I can't like a even godless imagine. world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know if there are pearly gates in this one. I am I so excited imagine. to see like those other characters. You know, I I obviously don't know who will make it to the Commonwealth. Um, aside from the ones that are already there, but I'm excited to see like you know Negan there. I would love to see Daryl in the Commonwealth because I always think back to when they first got to Alexandria and he he's being interviewed by Deanna and he's like pacing around her living room and he has his the possum that he killed just sitting on her coffee table just like sure. just completely like not buying into this perfect like civilization that's been built because that's not who he is and that that's still not who he is so I'm really interested to see what those characters think when they they kind of get involved in this story. Agreed. Definitely. So this has been such a great conversation. Just to wrap it up, I'd love to know from each of you, um, you know, general general takeaway from the episode and what you're looking forward to seeing next. Start with uh, Johnny. Um, what I want to see next. Well, I'm excited for the Connie storyline. I'm excited to meet Pamela Milton and her son, Sebastian, assuming he's still uh, going to be a character. Um, I'm excited, you know, for Negan and Maggie to evolve that whole thing and to see how Daryl gets out of this Reaper situation. Um, it's going to be fascinating. I think Leah is definitely going to have to sacrifice herself at some point. Um, I don't think she's going to be long for this world, but, you know, uh, we'll see. But I mean, it's the final season. It was a batshit crazy, like last few, like 10, 12, 15 issues that ended the series. So I'm excited to see how it all gets adapted. Sure. How about you, Jeffrey? Um, I think the thing that I'm most looking forward to is seeing just how all these different groups kind of clash and kind of collide. And obviously, you know, with next, episode it looks like we're going to be seeing Connie and what she's been up to and that's something I've been wanting to see for a long time now but just I mean there's so many different groups kind of at play right now between the Reapers um, the people that are left at Alexandria there are the Whispers still kind of lingering around and then we have the Commonwealth and you know I just I love the idea of like all these different thoughts about how life should be sustained in the apocalypse kind of clashing and colliding and I feel like the Commonwealth is kind of the perfect place for for all of these different characters to kind of end their story um, as we are in the final season. But I, I mean, I know I know how things end with the comics, and um, I do think that they'll follow it to to uh, follow that story um, closely. But I just part of me really wants things to end on a dark note with this show, and I I'm interested to see how you know things progress with that. I I want like I want them to kind of clear house with the characters and kind of, kind of get some, some blood on the floor. <laughs> Starting that's with Gabriel. Start. Awful as that sounds. <laughs> Sorry, Gabe. I just feel like that's kind of how, how this show needs to, to end. It would make sense. I mean, I can definitely see that. And I, I think from, from my standpoint, it definitely feels like, you know, the stage is set. Everybody, all the players in play are in place. Everything is, kind of moving and now now is the time and, and when you think about it you know knowing that there are three segments of eight episodes you know we're moving into the 
we're, we're beyond the halfway point at this point. Um, so this is one thing, you know, assuming that they're going to have uh, something big happen in 1108. Yeah, 1108. Yeah, 1108. Um, assuming that um, this would be the time and, and, and there does need to be a little bit of uh, house cleaning, so to speak. I agree. Yeah, I just feel like there's so many characters right now that like, we need to kind of, you know, if we're going to wrap this up, we need to take some people out and there's a lot that can go at this point absolutely absolutely well guys i can't thank you guys enough for being here and um it's such a pleasure it's always a pleasure talking to both of you but having you both together is a real treat and um yeah i, I would love to have you guys back and doing some more uh breaking down of this season and and um yeah it's going to be a wild ride i think uh Thank wow. you so much for having me. This has been great. We are the Three Musketeers. I think this is a pretty formidable force. And Jeffrey, uh, such a pleasure. I'm so I'm sorry we didn't do this when I actually had the job, but I always try to retweet you and comment and share your stuff as much as I could. So, yes, I have to thank you. I mean, you're such a you, you were such a huge part of my the the growth of my account over the years, and I love that we've kind of been able to to have this sort of online friendship um yeah over the years of our share of the love of the show um so it's cool to finally get to to talk to you and to thank you Sarah Beth for for having both of us it's it's always fun to to talk with fellow fans and and discuss the show that we love Sarah Beth the icon oh you guys yes are... <laughs> <laughs> I I do have to say before we go I have to congratulate Jeffrey on 50,000 followers that's huge oh my gosh that's perfect that is congrats you Thank That's you huge. so much. It's crazy that, I mean, in the final season, you know, there's still so much interest in, in the show, even if, you know, some people like to complain that, oh, you know, the show died when Glenn died. There's still a lot of interest in this show. And I love that. I love that we still have this, you know, fandom going strong after all this time. Yeah, that was like five years ago. Everyone get over it. Go watch Fear Street or something. Get out of here. <laughs> Stop complaining. I don't go to other <laughs> fandoms that I don't like and shit all over their stuff like i don't do that yeah so it's just it's it's weird how people come out of the woodwork but oh yeah you know it's it's crazy um before we go i i each of you if you want to give a shout out to uh to your accounts the things johnny i know you've got a lot of stuff that you you're working on uh where do we where do we follow you what are you working on uh, you can thing. follow my Twitter if you want at Johnny Odell. Um, it's the same name for YouTube. That's really what I want to uh, promote. I started it after I left Skybound and it's somehow doing okay. I, I honestly expected like five subscribers. So um, anything more than that has been a blessing. So check that out. I do react compilations for Walking Dead and What If and All Invincible, bunch of stuff. So go check that out. Awesome. Awesome. And Jeffrey, we can find you at uh, T Walking D World on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. T Walking D World. Um, I live tweet every Sunday. Um, of course, I'll be doing all episodes of Walking Dead and then um, when Fear the Walking Dead returns and also uh, World Beyond. Basically anything in the Walking Dead universe, I'll be talking about it. Um, and then you can also follow me at JeffreyCop97. That's where I kind of talk about um, a bunch of other shows that I like and a bunch of other things that I kind of geek out about. Um, so yeah, follow me. 
Awesome. Well, yeah, everybody go out and, and, and do the follows and do this, the subscriptions to all of the, all of the stuff. And, um, as usual, you can reach me at Sarah Beth Pollock and, um, today's been a really weird day because it's, it's been a weird mix of, I've, I've had Hallmark stuff. I've had Titans. I've had Walking Dead doing this podcast and it's just, there's so much good stuff on. It's just, it, it's amazing to think that, that we're just living in a time when people are giving us so many great things to be excited about. So, um, so thank you everybody for joining, joining us through this journey of this episode. And I want to thank my special guests, Johnny O'Dell and Jeffrey Kopp for coming along for the ride and, um, remind you to subscribe, like the podcast, the more you do that, the more we can do more podcasts, which is great. And, uh, as always, I want to remind everybody to stay safe, wash your hands and watch out for those walkers. Thanks everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.